Hello, and welcome to the Skeleton Factory Podcast. Episode 66. This is Adam coming to you from Austin, Texas. And today, I'll be taking a look at the 1996 film Ebola Syndrome. There's been a bit of a pattern in the past handful of episodes or so. I've really been diving into the Chinese Category 3 rated films. I've been especially kind of picking at um, some of the work of Anthony Wong and director Herman Yao. Um, I think it's kicked off when... First of all, I took a look at the, the Category 3 film A Calamity of Snakes. I believe that was on episode 64 of Skeleton Factory. And then episode 65, I reviewed The Untold Story. You know, possibly one of the best well-known kind of films that, uh, you know, sort of collaboration between Herman Yao and actor Anthony Wong. And episode 66, it's yet another Herman Yao directed Anthony Wong starring film. So, (laughs) uh, I just, you know, I'm really fascinated by Hong Kong cinema. I'm fascinated at the work rate of some of just just the way movies are made in Hong Kong. It's it's just it is not how we <laughs> do it in America, you know. You know, an actor can be hugely well known and popular and successful and whatever. They do like one movie a year, maybe one movie every two years. But in Hong Kong, they don't roll like that. Okay? So Anthony Wong has had 216 acting credits. Okay? And it's not like he's a old dude. You know what I mean? Like, he still has years of acting ahead of him. But Ebola Syndrome, okay, comes out in 96, right? But Anthony Wong, Ebola Syndrome was one of 12 movies he acted in in just 1996. You know what I mean? And if you look through his filmography, if you, or, you know, his, just his acting credits is every year he just stacks movies one after another. And it's, it's amazing, but that's, but he's primarily a, you know, a Hong Kong actor. You know, he's, he, he hasn't really made the jump to America, which why would he? You know, he's, I mean, I'm sure he could, and I'm sure he would do very well, but, I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, uh, actors like, I don't know, more, what's the word I'm looking for? Transcendent, or, I don't know, more marketable actors, you know, like uh, Jackie Chan, Chow Young-Fat, like, they all came from that. 80s, 90s Hong Kong action cinema and were able to 
make the move to America and make some films here, which, you know, just don't, they just don't compare <laughs> to, the, to their, uh, their, the, the, you know, the films they've done in Asia. It's just, it's just does not compare at all. But, um, I don't know. I, and <laughs> I went down a bit of a rabbit hole just watching like Anthony Wong interviews and Anthony Wong. He's, it's, um, he does interviews one of two ways I've noticed. One is he's very upbeat. He's very sort of, uh, it seems like a very kind of sweet and gentle man and very engaged in whatever interview or discussion he happens to be involved in. And then there's like, <laughs> like I've seen some interviews on sort of the special features of the Untold Stories um, Blu-ray release. And <laughs> I can't tell if he's just trolling or if he's serious. You know, this is the inter he's sitting with Herman Yao and they're friends. And Herman Yao's very, you know, he's... He's with the interviewer, you know, he's, he kind of just tells it like it was and is very upbeat and is very uh, <laughs> enthusiastic about answering questions. And when Anthony Wong is asked about like, well, um, you, know, um, you know, Anthony, when, like, what attracted you to uh, star in Herman Yao's the untold story. Like how did this collaboration between the two of you take place? How did you, how did you come to uh, choose this film to be a part of, you know, this film that holds this sort of cult film status. And Anthony Wong was just like, I don't know. I just needed the money. <laughs> The, uh, the script wasn't, uh, the script was kind of shit, but uh, I needed the money, so I took the job. And it's, <laughs> it's so deadpan, a lot, and a lot of the uh, interviews, he's wearing like sunglasses indoors and stuff, it's great. I love his style. But I don't know if that's, I don't know, maybe he was just brutally hungover when he did that interview, or I don't know if maybe he was just like sandbagging the interview just to fuck with Herman Yao. <laughs> or I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he just didn't like the interviewers or something, but I like sort of that. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I guess I've heard similar things with other actors who've been in sort of more, uh, uh, exploitation type, grittier films in their early sort of career before they really hit it big. And you do get some of that. Sometimes it's a bit more, um, I don't know, a little more, they put a little sh more sugar on their answer. You know, they're like, oh, well, you know, I started working with, you know, whoever. Like I was working with Roger Corman or I was working for Troma you know, and everyone starts somewhere and, you know, I learned a lot on those productions and yada, yada, yada. 
But <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was just like, oh, I just needed the uh, money. You know, I knew that the script was complete shit, but, you know, it was a job. <laughs> oh, this is very funny to me. But, um, you know, let me see what's but uh what's go, what's going on with me i i did want to bring uh up a, a a dream i had recently some may say it was a nightmare but it, it was a very vivid very unusual dream and you know dreams don't make much sense usually you know um but here's my dream i had recently okay I find out, this is how the dream starts. I find out that my mother has been murdered. Okay? And I'm given this, like, it was like a magazine. It was like a cut, like a cut, like a regular color, glossy looking magazine. And there was photos of my mother's mutilated body. And I mean mutilated, like somebody killed her and, like, skinned her torso and and uh sort of pose the removed pieces and um <laughs> you know it was and uh i i was i was quite upset about this so i go to california cuz i'm in texas you know so i have to fly back out to california to you know, um, take care of all the sort of funeral arrangements, you know, um, you know, and, and just all the things that need to be taken care of, you know, after a, uh, a loved one has passed. Okay. And it's sort of your responsibility to take care of their, um, take care of them once they're gone sort of thing. So I fly back out to California and, uh, go to, you know, I go to her house and everything and I'm staying at the house, you know, the, I'm actually staying in the room I grew up in, you know, which has been converted into a guest room and stuff. So actually right now my, my niece lives in my old bedroom. So I'm staying in that room and, um, I am contacted. This is where like the dream, dream logic kicks in. Okay. I am contacted by somebody who um, works for the Diaz brothers. If you're not familiar who the Diaz, not 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 the Diaz brothers from Scarface, but there is a pair of brothers, Nick and Nate Diaz. Okay, they are professional MMA fighters. They've been around. For many years, okay? They're very, very popular in the MMA world, okay? Now, they actually, we grew up in the same area, okay? They grew up in Stockton, um, Lodi area. I grew up in Manteca. And those those towns are like right next to each other. And uh, Nick Diaz, he has a, he has the, what, the Nick Diaz Academy. He's like MMA academies in Manteca and Every time you see like videos of the Diaz brothers, like in like uh, like pre-fight hype videos and you know previews, and you see them like 
like boxing, like hitting mitts or, you know, sparring, anything like that. It's, uh, let's see, uh, it's the, the, that boxing gym that they're in is in downtown Manteca. So it's, so these, so they're like, you know, they're very close by to my mom's house actually. So I get a phone call from somebody from their camp, you know? And they're like, hey, um, we heard about what happened to your mom. <laughs> and we think we know who is responsible for killing your mom. And we want to help you catch this person. I'm like, okay. Now, the way I remember it, the way I remember it in the dream, it was like, it was sort of an already understood thing that we weren't going to the cops. Like when, when they meant like we can help you catch the guy, it wasn't to bring him to justice. It was to bring him to a sort of vigilante justice. <laughs> so, and in the dream, I'm like, at, whoa, thank you for calling me. Yeah. Like I'm, I totally want to, I'm in, you know, let's do this sort of thing. And so suddenly it's nighttime. Okay. It's nighttime and I go to this. <laughs> okay. It's, it looks like, it looks like, uh, I don't know, like Mr. Miyagi's house or something. You know, it's, it's sort of that Japanese sort of like wood and paper sliding walls and doors sort of thing. And it's got like tatami mats. You know what I mean? Like that's, this is the place that we're meeting up at. And, uh, I get there, it's nighttime and, uh, there's the Diaz brothers. They roll pretty deep. Like anytime you see any social media, anything of them or whatever, like they, they roll with like a bunch of dudes. Okay. So I get to this <laughs> Japanese tea garden, <laughs> Japanese tea garden building. And, all, all of their like, uh, all their like, their homies are like hanging outside, and they see me and they're like, "Oh, just right this way, dude!" Like, it's we're in here, so we go in there. There's a bunch of dudes, and we get inside this main little, little, uh, <laughs> this little house thing, and like the Diaz brothers are in there with a bunch of guys, and it's like dark, you know. It's like no lights on. There's just like moonlight coming into the window. And they have this man sort of sitting on the floor. And he looks scared. And they're like, this is the guy who did it. And uh, (laughs) isn't this a weird dream? This is a weird dream. Okay. Just saying it out loud. I'm like, okay, this is so weird. So basically, um, it, everything kind of goes in flashes after this. Okay, there's like um, basically this guy just gets held down and just beaten by everybody in the room. Okay, and at one point the guy's like crawling across the floor, and 
I just one of the dudes walks up behind him. He's wearing like a long sleeve shirt. I remember this, and the guy reaches into this sort of inner sleeve of his of his long sleeve shirt. He like reaches into the in inside his sleeve, and he pulls out this thin like chain. It's like a length of thin chain. And just steps over the guy who's crawling across the floor and just wraps the chain around his throat and just starts. He sits on his like the, his lower back and he's just choking this dude. His eyes are bulging. Bloodshot. The guy's like tongue sticking out of his mouth and he's just strangling the guy. And uh, I, I, I like hunch over the guy and I just like flip him off right in his face. <laughs> Isn't this weird? It's so weird. And um and then and then it's just hard the whole dream hard cuts to I'm in what appears to be Chinatown. Uh you know, it could be China for all I know. But it looks like it kind of looks like uh Chinatown in San Francisco, which I've been to Chinatown a million times, you know, and it's daytime now, and I'm looking for, oh, what was it? Okay, (laughs) no, this is what, okay, so there's this office building, kind of an older office building, right, it's got a little lobby, not a huge lobby, it's got a very small little lobby that, you know, you walk in off the street, there's a door, there's a little lobby, and then there's a series of doors, like, off of the lobby that go to different offices, okay? So this is like a, kind of like an older medical office in Chinatown. And when the dream kicks in, I walk in off the street in Chinatown, and I go into the lobby, and apparently in the dream, I live in the lobby of this building, so, so, and it's just, it's a lobbies. People are walking in and out and shit like that, but I live in the lobby. It's weird. And, um, like this sort of like hidden door in the wall just opens up and, um, somehow I just know in the dream, I'm like, oh, I have a dentist appointment. And then I go into the dentist's office and there's a little waiting room in the dentist's office. And like the door closes and it's like once I'm inside the, the office in the waiting room, like the the door I just passed through just sort of like vanished. There's like so the door closes, then whoop, it's gone. So then I'm, I get into the waiting room and there's a ton of people in there waiting. And I go in there and I sit down and then I wake up. And that's the dream. I know there's people who find significance in dreams. You know, they they can uh, they feel like they can kind of decipher what dreams are trying to tell you, or what do they mean, and are they some kind of some some kind of leftovers from your conscious mind? You know, sort of chunks of your subconscious that kind of reveal themselves to you. While you're dreaming 
And I don't know. I find it interesting. I, I don't know how real any of that is, but <laughs> what I don't know what that dream means. But if, 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 if you're one of those dream people, tell me what that dream means. I don't know. But it was weird. Just the series of those events, like bam, 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 was real. It wasn't so much like the events were like, I don't know. They weren't nightmarish. They were just like very, very vivid. You know what I mean? Because obviously the dream doesn't make any sense. But the, the like everything in the dream wasn't very vivid. Like I could see what people looked like. I could, you know, I, I was looking into people's faces and geographically everywhere I was made sense. Everything felt real. Like when I'm walking on the street, it felt like a real street. When I went into the fucking uh, <laughs> that like papered walled uh, little house at nights, like it felt like a real place. And uh, yeah, watching that dude get choked to death with a chain was uh, like felt really real to me. So um, I don't know. That, that was my dream. I just thought I should uh, just put that out into the world. Because everyone dreams, but, you know, who do, the, who do you tell your dreams to? You know, this is, this is my outlet to just uh, do that. <laughs> Anyways, uh, what else happened besides my dream? Well, uh, since we're today going to talk about a... A movie, a movie about a pandemic, basically, um, or how a pandemic began, you know, since we all sort of lived through a real, you know, we all lived through a real pandemic with uh, COVID. And uh, I, I mean, we technically lived through a pandemic. I think we more lived through some kind of weird um, um, social experiment. uh sort of, uh, I don't know, what's the word? Psyop of some kind? <laughs> some sort of uh, attempt to create an alternate reality in reality. I think that's, I think, I feel like that's more appropriate of what the past few years have been like. But during 2020, obviously we all went back and watched all of the famous you know, viral outbreak movies, all the pandemic movies. We all watched uh, Outbreak, of course, with Dustin Hoffman and and uh, Kevin Spacey with with red hair <laughs> and uh, what well, Contagion took place in San Francisco. Mm, very spooky. Uh, you know what else? Twelve Monkeys. That's based on a pandemic right it, like pandemic uh killed half the people in the world you know um and strain that's another one but one that i think probably wasn't as seen as much was ebola syndrome so let's let's uh let's talk about ebola syndrome um oh the copy of Ebola syndrome that I have, I actually got from a company called 88 films and they sell physical media. They, 
they do everything from, you know, horror films, action, science fiction, you know, they, um, a lot of their films are, you have to have, you know, if you're listening to this and you're in North America, your Blu-ray DVD player may not be able to play. You're going to need an all-region DVD player is what I'm saying if you buy stuff from 88 films. But, um, yeah, let's see. What are they at? They're at 88-films.myshopify.com. You can also go to, uh, they have a sort of an online store in the United States. It's at mvdshop.com. If you like buying physical media, which I I really recommend people invest in some physical media, you know, I don't, uh, I don't completely trust streaming services. I don't like the idea that I need to pay money every time I want to see a movie that I know I will rewatch, you know. I don't want to pay $3 every year to watch a Christmas story. I don't want to pay you know 3 to 4 dollars to 5 even to watch Goodfellas or The Big Lebowski or movies like that. Movies that you you you'll just you know you'll just watch. Tropic Thunder. I don't want to pay to see Tropic Thunder. I already paid to see Tropic Thunder. I don't want to be paying forever to see Tropic Thunder. Okay. <laughs> so I buy it one time. Well, technically I buy it twice, right? I buy it, you know, after I see the movie, I'm like, you know, I want to own that. And then I buy a physical copy. And now I just own it. So. And I'm not given a time limit of how long. You know, I don't have 24 or 48 hours to finish it. I have, I can stop and start it whenever I feel like it. So physical media, people. Um, I am not sponsored by 88 films or affiliated with them in any way. I'm just, that just happens to be the copy of Ebola syndrome that I own. And uh, so, so Ebola syndrome from 1996, directed by Herman Yao, starring... Anthony Wong. So less than three years after Herman Yao's wildly popular film, The Untold Story, or The, <laughs> the Eight Immortals Restaurant, The Untold Story, uh, which I covered on episode 65. Now, The, the Untold Story, um, also starring Anthony Wong, and Anthony Wong is a really interesting actor. You know, he's somewhere between, you know, he's sort of an amalgamation of like Joe Spinell, David Hess, Vincent Gallo, those type of actors, you know, like clearly talented sort of character actors, but can really, you know, pump the brakes or step on the gas in terms of like playing a complete and total psycho or playing a very sort of reserved more of a reserved character. You know what I mean? Um, but you know, Anthony Wong has done a lot of sort of, uh, you know, grimier, gory 
kind of, you know, films that kind of fall into the exploitation department, you know. Like I said, with, you know, category three films, that those that's the type of content that you're going to find in those films, okay? They're not, those aren't romantic love stories or something. They're not rom-coms, you know? And Anthony Wong is an actor that's, uh, he kind of falls in that, kind of that, that nook. Um, like I said, he's sort of the Joe Spinell, David Hess, the Vincent Gallo, but of Hong Kong cinema. Basically, he's really good at playing a disgusting creep, you know, and, and, you know, he's really morphed into a really highly respected award-winning actor, you know, Wong, uh, he will, let's see, what's a good, <laughs> what's like the inverse of his character from the untold story or Ebola syndrome, it would be like, uh, or even, uh, oh my God, what's the name of that movie? He did a movie around the time, same year, actually, I think around the same time he did uh, the untold story he did a movie called taxi hunter where he again he plays some fucking psycho but he's great at it you know but wong was in a 2002 film called infernal affairs which was the inspiration for martin scorsese's the departed okay so if you've seen the departed uh quick recap of the departed okay there's um <laughs> there is a, a, a class of state policemen and um, after graduation, um, one of them is brought into the sort of uh, undercover cop like division of the police force and he's basically told like you have your family has a background of criminality. Okay, being connected to the mob, things like that. And based on your your IQ and your intelligence tests and you know, your psychological testing, we've found that you'll you'll probably end up being some type of like criminal someday. You know, so we find it suspicious that you want to be a police officer. And he's just like, I just want to be a cop. I don't like what my family does has nothing to do with me. And they're like well, tell you what, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> and in the, the departed, uh, the two guys that kind of sit him down, who are like the heads of the uh, undercover division, is uh, um, Marky Mark Wahlberg, okay? And Martin Sheen, who's the uh, character of Captain Queenan. And Captain Queenan sort of like, he's the... Uh, you know, he's the older guy. He's the old school dude who knows how to run an undercover, how to run undercover snitches and informants and stuff like that. And they're basically like, you're, you can rather be fired and never become a cop ever, or you can come to work with us as an undercover. You know, those are your only two choices. Like, you're not going to be... <laughs> You're not going to be pulling people over. You're not going to be investigating crime. You're like, you're going to be an undercover, you know, you're basically going to be a criminal. You're going to be a criminal snitch, but you, but you have a badge. That's basically, those are basically, <laughs> you could take the job or, or leave it, but that's, those are your only options. And then of course the, 
well, the Leonardo DiCaprio character, he takes the job and okay, that's kind of how the departed starts. And then he has to infiltrate this mob and a lot of people die and you know, yada, yada, yada. There's a lot of people who are double agents and people turning on each other and then all that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, the departed was based on, uh, infernal affairs. Okay. And Anthony Wong was in infernal affairs and he was the, he was basically the captain queen and Martin Sheen character in, uh, infernal affairs. And if you've seen the departed, you know, that at some point there's, a. There's a scene where uh, uh, Captain Queenan has to go meet up with with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, right? So they go to this, like, building, this sort of, like, building that's under construction. There's no one around. It's like an abandoned building. And then so the mob guys uh, find him there, and they throw him off the fucking building. And right when... Leonardo DiCaprio shows up like he just falls at his feet and splat. He's dead, right? But Leo can't... But Leo, like, he's very... He's, um... You know, he... He's, uh... He can't act. He can't have an emotional reaction to this man who he trusts. And, you know, his death. Because he's undercover. He just needs to be like, oh... You guys must have threw this guy out of the building for a reason, right? Mm, fuck that guy. But uh, in Infernal Affairs, which, you know, there's a debate of whether or not The Departed or Infernal Affairs, which one's better. I don't know. Infernal Affairs does do a lot of those kind of scenes a little, I see, quite a bit better sometimes. And one of them was the, you know, killing Captain Queen. And so... There's the Martin Sheen throws off the... But actually, when they threw Martin Sheen off the roof, it was kind of funny. <laughs> but when they throw Anthony Wong's version of Captain Queen in off the roof, it's a lot It's a lot cooler. Like, Hong Kong cinema just makes everything a lot cooler, you know? Um, I, uh, I mean, it's probably a little... It's probably a little more campy, you know, uh, at this point. I think it's always been kind of goofy, but it's very visually specific. It's like, it's like when uh, John Woo was making, you know, like face off and stuff like that. You know what I mean? There's always like people jumping through the air in slow motion with two guns, like bang, 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 bang. And every time someone walks through a door, like doves fly, you know, like stuff like that. Very stylish. So when they kill Anthony Wong's Captain Queen in character, uh, the the basically the main character he it's like the Leo character I think it's the Leo character but the the you know the Chinese equivalent he pulls up to this building in a car he gets out and he's walking into the building and behind him you just see Anthony Wong's body just fall from the sky and just smash on top of this car which is a lot more shocking and uh I don't know it just looks a lot cooler but uh but yeah, Anthony Wong, he's, like I said, he's had 216 acting credits. Like, the guy's been in everything, anything you can imagine. You know, he's just, like, right now, I think he's he's doing voice acting for some giant cartoon in China. You know what I mean? He's, <laughs> he does everything. But Ebola syndrome, 
like The Untold Story, is a Category 3 film, which is uh, the sort of Chinese equivalent of an NC-17 rated film here in the States. Or even like basically hard R-rating NC-17 films. That's what a Category 3 film is in China. You know, and then Category 2 is sort of like, you know, PG, PG-13. And then Category 1 is basically little kids' films. So, <laughs> Category 3, the, basically, you're going to have plenty of violence, plenty of sexual depravity. You're going to have plenty of things like, I don't know, animal abuse and other tasteless themes. So let's jump into Ebola Syndrome, the one pandemic movie we all forgot to watch in 2020. So we open in Hong Kong. The character of Kai, or Akai, depending on, I guess, which version you're watching, um, who's played by Anthony Wong. Kai is having some afternoon delight with his boss's wife. Um, that means they're having sex. His boss is played by uh, uh, Fui On Shing, who you'll recognize from the un Untold Story. So, um, who was in the Untold Story? He was like, um, so basically when Anthony Wong's character in the Untold Story goes to prison, he just gets his fucking ass kicked by this dude who's in the prison. He was like the brother of one of his victims. So once Anthony Wong gets in there, he's like, you killed my brother. Now I'm going to fuck you up. So it's that guy. And that's uh, Fuyong Xing. And that guy just looks tough. Like his face just looks like, oh, fuck, dude. He just, <laughs> he looks like, <laughs> like, I wouldn't want that guy to be fucking angry at me, you know? So, so, so the, his boss shows up and um, he's with a friend. And um, and Kai is his employee, right? So he comes home to find Kai having um, having he's engaging in extramarital congress with his wife. Mm, not good. And the boss and his friend just start beating Kai's ass, and they end up knocking him out. And uh, the boss is like, he grabs the wife, and he's like. Like, uh, <laughs> all right, wake up your little boyfriend. He's like, go over there and piss on his face and wake him up. So she goes over to Kai, who's like bleeding from the head and he's unconscious. And she just like pees in his face. This wakes him up. And the boss is like, you fucking cheated on me and shit. And she's like, oh, no, 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 I didn't cheat on you. He, he forced himself on me. Yes, he. He said that uh, he's he's always wanted to sleep with the boss's wife, and he forced himself on me, which makes the boss even more pissed. She's lying too, uh, so uh, she says that Kai forced himself on her. Okay, so boss man is like, okay, uh, he's like he, he he's like he gets some scissors. They look more like pruning shears. You would use to like prune rose bushes or something. But he 
So bring me some scissors. And he takes the scissors and he's like, all right, Kai, pull out your dick. I'm going to cut your fucking dick off. And Kai's begging, like, he's begging for mercy. And he's just like, please don't cut my dick off. It's like, he's like, and, and he somehow convinces his boss to let him cut off his own dick. So Kai's like, please, boss, man, don't cut off my dick. Give me the shears. I'll cut off my own dick. That's the right thing to do. And the boss, for some reason, agrees. He's like, good idea. Cut off your own dick. Here, here's the scissors. Do it. So the boss is sitting there and he, um, there's like a bottle of, I guess, someone's, someone else's gross warm beer just sitting on the table. So he just sits down and just takes like a celebratory swig off of this bottle. Um, and <laughs> this is where he fucked up. Okay. So he's like, here, cut off your dick. Here's the scissors. I'm going to take a swig off this beer. Then all of a sudden Kai sees his opportunity to like palm strike the bottle into the boss's mouth. Boss falls over, spitting up blood, and Kai ends up stabbing the boss multiple times. And remember, the boss showed up with a friend. Uh, he the boss, the boss's homie for his trouble, gets stabbed in the dick with the scissors. Stabs the guy in his penis scrotum area with scissors. That sucks. So Kai stabs the both of these guys and they just bleed out and die right there in the living room. So they die, leaving the cheating snitch wife at the mercy of Kai. So he sort of corners her in the kitchen and he cuts her tongue out and then stabs her in her guts and then she dies. And now, um, well, boss and his wife turns out they have a young daughter. Okay. And they have a little kid daughter named Lily and she's hiding in one of the bedrooms. Okay. And Kai, he just is able to like sniff her out and drags her out of the bedroom into the kitchen. He ties her up and then pours gasoline all over her and is going to like light her on fire and the arrest of the apartment. In fact, the entire crime scene, really. But before he can. Um, you know, set this poor little girl ablaze. A neighbor, presumably, uh, pushes the door open to see what all the commotion is about. What rose such a clatter? And Kai gets up, and he doesn't. He doesn't light the girl on fire. He gets up when the dude walks in the door. He just gets up and he leaves. Okay, so this guy just walks into this apartment. There's a dude who. Got stabbed in the dick. He bled out on the floor. There's another dude who had a bottle shoved in his mouth. Blood is spewing out of his mouth. And he's stabbed multiple times. And he's dead on the ground. And then there's a woman with her tongue cut out. Who's been stabbed in her torso. And she's dead on the ground. And then you have a child who, if I had to guess, was probably... I don't know. 10, maybe? 
nine, ten, with her wrists bound, covered in gasoline. Okay? That sounds like the old building I used to live in. Okay? So, after this, Kai ends up fleeing to South Africa. Okay? It's actually very similar to the opening of The Untold Story. There's a lot of parallels between The Untold Story and Ebola Syndrome. So, you know, uh, both movies, it's sort of like unhinged man, uh, Anthony Wong. (laughs) Um, You know, in Untold Story, uh, I mean, Anthony Wong plays, he plays like, it's it's a true story, sort of. It's like mostly a true story about this guy named uh, Wang Chi Hang, who was like a serial killer. He like killed some dude in Hong Kong, flees to Macau, uh, killed a bunch of more people. It's it's they're very they're very kind of similar films. And then uh, you know, so he's like in both movies plays a crazy guy, commits a heinous murder, burns the evidence. And, uh, I mean, Ebola syndrome, he almost burns up the evidence, but doesn't, but got close. And then in both movies, he like flees to another country to hide, you know? So we jump forward 10 years and Kai is, he takes this under the table job at a Chinese restaurant under the alias chicken. (laughs) And the creativity of Herman Yao's sort of disgustingness really shines with scenes of things like f- frogs being butchered, live frogs, like a close-up scene of somebody butchering and skinning frogs with a cleaver. Okay, so there's there's that. So that that's how we're introduced to ten years later. And Kai is working at this Chinese restaurant in South Africa. So, so again, I mentioned this earlier. There's there's dead animals in the movie. There's animals that were uh, there's dead animals, and there's like you see animals die in this movie. So it's sort of if you've seen like Bad Boy Bubby or Cannibal Holocaust or Cannibal Ferox or any of those types of movies, like just uh, just beware. There's some of that in this movie. Not nearly to the extent of, you know, Cannibal Holocaust or something, but it's it's in here. So Kai overhears his new boss at this restaurant. And uh, <laughs> because they have an, like an apartment upstairs. Okay. There's restaurant has like main floor where the kitchen is. There's an upstairs dining area. And then there's like the bathroom and the next to the bathroom is like an apartment where the boss and his wife live. Okay. So there's a scene where Kai overhears his boss and his wife having kind of the oddest sex I've ever seen in a movie. And he's like listening to the wall of the adjoining bathroom and he starts masturbating, but he can't finish. So he runs down to the restaurant kitchen and fetches a chunk of pork and cuts a makeshift orifice in this 
chunk of pork and then rushes back up to the bathroom, puts his ear against the wall and begins uh, engaging with, in what I, I think is referred to as cytophilia. Which means he fucked the meat. That's what that means. He fucked the meat. He fucked the hole in the pork. And then he returns the pork back to the fridge. Tosses it in the fridge. It's gross. It's funny. But it's gross. But it's also funny. (laughs) Which is another thing in a lot of Hong Kong films. You know, and it's like you, you have to have these sort of extreme, these extremes. You have, you know, you have explicit death and uh, sexual assault and animal death and things like that. And, uh, you know, this, the subject matter is very dark. And But the, there's always these little, I don't even want to say it necessarily like undercuts, but there the often something really heavy happens and then there's something really silly happens you know sort of a, it's sort of this absurdist humor you know it's not like someone trying to make a joke you know it's not like a marvel movie where you undercut a serious moment with like some little snappy banter from paul rudd or something it's just like like you just watched this guy 10 years prior like almost kill an entire family in their home and was about to light a child on fire. But then we jump forward 10 years and he's working in a restaurant where he likes to uh, listen to his his wife or his boss and his boss's wife have sex through a wall and he beats off to it. And in order to achieve sexual climax he goes and gets a piece of raw pork from the restaurant kitchen and has sex with it and then when he's done he puts the pork back in the fridge for someone later to consume that's funny to me (laughs) so the Kai and the uh, boss man they do a trip out to this like rural Zulu tribe to purchase a a, whole, a pig. They need to get they need a whole pig for the restaurant. Okay, they ran into some trouble from going to one of their meat purveyors. They seem to have experienced some sort of uh, discrimination, some racial discrimination at the at the meat purveyor. Okay, this is South Africa. All right, the home of Elon Musk and uh, Charlize Theron and films like Zulu starring Michael Caine. Okay, so there's (laughs) The Power of One. Okay, if you read that in in school. Okay, so there's a lot of big Dutch settlement, bunch of white people down there. Okay, so uh, so Kai and his boss who are Chinese they go. They try to go buy pork from a restaurant, uh, kind of bulk wholesale pork supplier, and he charges them more than they would than they would a, a white guy. Okay, so there's there's that. There's 
there's a bit of that throughout the whole movie. There's sort of racial, there's sort of uh, racial tensions between people, you know, sort of white, Asian, black, Asian sort of thing. Um, so they're like, okay, we need, we need some pork for the, for the restaurant. So, okay. They're like, we know that there's a, a sort of very primitive Zulu tribe that lives way out in the countryside and they raise pigs and we can go buy a whole pig from them. So we got to get in the truck and head out there. And it's sketchy as hell. Like you go out there and there's like cheetahs running around and lions. <laughs> it's like, fuck. my God, it's like, I thought working in a restaurant in the United States was hard, you know? So, so they get to this village. There's like, this like Zulu village. I mean, and it's like grass huts and stuff. It's very primitive. So they get there and they show up and there's an outbreak of Ebola has spread through the tribe. Okay. And many in the tribe are, uh, are ill and are quarantined sort of in the middle of the sort of like courtyard, the little, you know, central square of this village. And there's like a some kind of like voodoo ceremony taking place to maybe like save these people's lives and heal them or whatever that that particular ceremony is. And uh, and they, these people are just laid on uh, like cots and they're covered in lesions and they're obviously in a very advanced stage of you know dying of Ebola. So, Kai and his boss see this sort of uh, voodoo ceremony to cure these doomed souls. And they, um, on the way back, after getting their pig, they run into some car trouble. Now, while the boss is fixing the truck, Kai wanders off and finds, uh, he sees this topless sort of tribes woman walking by this like uh this like riverbed okay and he sees her uh she's walking and then she just suddenly collapses and he runs over to where she is and instead of finding help for this woman this unconscious woman he ends up raping her okay and during the act the woman starts to convulse and then vomits in Kai's face, unknowingly contracting the Ebola virus because the woman had Ebola, right? That's why she collapsed. That's why she vomited. And um, she puked right in Kai's face. And now he has Ebola. So for this, Kai smashes her in the face with a rock the size of a brick. And I counted 14 times. And it's brutal. It's totally not funny. It's not funny the first like nine times he he hits her. Okay. Um but then he just like keeps like hitting her and then it sort of becomes funny. You know what I mean? 
you know, sort of, uh, you know, comedy is funny that way. Sometimes repetition of something makes it, it's, it's, it's like not funny, but then the, with repetition, it becomes absurd and then it becomes funny. So he basically smashes this woman in the face with a rock until her face is just like a, just a red bleeding skull. So, so basically that's how Ebola goes from this village. Now Kai has it. And now he's going to go back to, uh, well, Johannesburg where sort of, uh, where the restaurant is and where he lives and everything. So now he's going to go into a major heavily populated area, but he doesn't know he has gotten the, uh, gotten the Ebola, right? So they get back to the restaurant with their pig and not long after Kai ends up getting sick and collapses at work in the dining room while running plates of food out to the table. So he collapses and then, um, turns out that he has contracted Ebola and will have, you know, after being seen by a doctor, he will have a full recovery, but once he recovers, he will be completely asymptomatic. He'll be sort of like an asymptomatic carrier of the virus. Okay. He's, he's immune to dying from it, but he's able to give it to other people, which is, that's dangerous. So as soon as <laughs> this is sort of the absurdity of the film, it's like as soon as uh, basically Kai's uh, laid up on a couch and he basically has the flu, right? He's just, he has the shivers, he has a fever. And basically once after his fever breaks and as soon as he's feeling better, uh, boss man's not around. Okay. He's out doing whatever he's doing. And, and uh, basically, Zakai is laid up on the couch in the boss's apartment, and his wife is there. So, as soon as he's feeling better, he tries to, like, rape the boss's wife. And she is a bitch, by the way. You know, it's not an excuse to rape anybody. But she is a bitch. I should just point that out. Most of the people in this movie are annoying and intolerable. Now, I don't know if that was, I don't know if that was a conscious choice by director Herman Yao. You know, um, I think the, if I really think about it, who's like, who's really not annoying? Probably Lily, the little girl who will appear again in the film, but this time she's an adult, right? Cause 10 years have gone by. But everyone else in the movie is sort of like kind of gross and um, I don't know. There's just Everyone's not likable, which is, you know, a good thing to do in a movie like this because you, you can kind of just kill them and you don't feel bad for them as an audience member watching it. So Kai forces himself on Boss Man's wife, right? And then Boss Man shows up and... Kai is such a psycho. Like he's he's caught in the act. Like he has her bent over a table and he's he's like unbuttoning his pants and she her hands are tied up and she's screaming. Boss comes in, and he's like, "What in the fuck?" And Kai, Kai's like, he's basically 
like, how dare you interrupt me while I'm I'm raping somebody? And the boss is like, and, and then he just continues to try to unbutton his pants and and and, and uh, you know uh, continue with his his raping. So, boss man tries to stop him, tries to save his wife. They get into a fight. Uh, he ends up killing the boss. Um, you know they they basically. They fight. The fight empties out into the dining room. They're rolling over tables and knocking over chairs. And the fight takes a dramatic turn when Kai reaches. He's reaching around for a weapon on the table. And he finds this little container. This Imagine a little, a little vase. A tiny little vase that holds maybe 20 toothpicks. Okay, he grabs this little thing and then jams all the toothpicks into the boss's eye, which is gross. Okay, makes you jump. Imagine getting 20 toothpicks jammed into your eye. So after this, um, Kai kills the boss. He finishes him off by smashing his head into a door until his head just pops off. And then he finishes what he set out to do. He ends up raping and killing the boss's wife. And then he ends up butchering and grinding both of their bodies into hamburger meat. And then makes them into hamburger patties. And then serves burgers made of human meat to the customers. Of course, the customers have no idea. That these burgers are made of human beings. But that's that's what Kai does, okay? Which is also very similar to his character in The Untold Story. Okay, The Untold Story is basically about a, a serial killer who... Well, basically he's a kind of a degenerate gambler murderer who is trying to collect a gambling debt from a gentleman who owes him quite a bit of, you know, um, he has, he owes him a gambling debt and, uh, he gets very upset and ends up killing the guy, um, and his entire family inside of their family restaurant. And then he ends up grinding up the family and making them into pork buns and selling them to people and even serving them to police and everything like that. And, you know, that's, that's part of the untold story. And that's that whole, like feeding people to people. That's, there's not really any proof that that's true, but, uh, you know, it, it definitely adds to the, uh, to the sizzle of, the true story of, you know, this guy, he murders an entire family, he takes over their restaurant, and then the guy ends up getting caught, you know, but it's just more fun to say that, because they never found the bodies, right? They, I mean, they found pieces of the bodies, but they didn't find all the bodies. So it just adds to the to the myth. But so, yeah, basically, we have some parallels between the untold story and Ebola syndrome. So in terms of things you'd come to expect from these type of movies, the scenes of 
dismembering the boss and his wife, making them the hamburger patties are, I mean, I think they're, those scenes are well done. Get it? Well done. So it's a cooking meat joke. Um, so after this, Kai finds the um, boss's money stash. Because he just, he, he tells everyone else in the restaurant, like, oh, the boss and his wife went out of town. I don't know when they're going to be back. But he's they left me in charge. <laughs> you know, it's like, so he's running this place and he's staying in their apartment. And at some point he's just like, I bet there's just money somewhere around here, you know? This is a business after all. So he ends up finding all of the boss's sort of like hidden, like, stash of cash. Um, but before Kai can take all the money and skip town to Hong Kong, do you remember Lily, the little girl from the beginning of the movie who Kai almost lit on fire? Okay, well, she happened upon the restaurant that Kai works at now in Johannesburg. Okay. They just happened upon the restaurant and somehow she figures out that uh, the character, I mean, that Kai who's now going by the name Chicken, right? Somehow she knows that Chicken is actually Kai. The guy who murdered her parents 10 years ago. Okay, somehow she just knows. And by now, the customers who ate the Ebola infected burgers are starting to drop like flies. So, yeah, Boss and his wife both get infected with Ebola before they get killed. So. Ebola is inside of the burger meat. So it doesn't take long to figure out that all the dead bodies are infected with Ebola after Kai gets to Hong Kong. So after getting to Hong Kong, um, Kai's in a disguise. He has a fake ID and he's got a bag full of cash. Kai orders up some, some whores to his swanky penthouse suite and has some unprotected vaginal intercourse with said whores, thus spreading the Ebola even further, okay? But now it's in Hong Kong, okay? And spreading faster than a sex worker's ass cheeks. The Ebola is okay so he's already spread Ebola in Johannesburg now he's in Hong Kong okay and this is how it starts he calls up some hookers he gives them Ebola they leave they spread it to other people so on and so forth but after after his uh, his evening with the prostitutes one of the prostitutes dies and the cops discover a matchbook in her purse and it's the matchbook from the hotel that Kai is staying at. So the cops use a little 
some of the, some of that contact tracing we've all come to know in the era of COVID to determine all the first cases of Ebola deaths. I mean, all the first cases of the Ebola deaths, they found all eight at the restaurant that Kai worked at. Okay. You know, the same place where the owners have mysteriously disappeared. So now Hong Kong authorities know that the carrier of the virus is also a serial killer. So Kai at one point ends up hooking back up with an old fling, the character of Har. And she's like hot single mom. We've all hooked up with hot single moms. Okay. So he, but you know, they, I guess they used to be a thing back in the day and now they're kind of meeting back up and rekindling, picking up where they left off. So like many deadly virus outbreak movies, we see the virus sort of pass along inadvertently to others and the virus spreads further. Okay. Through sneezing, through, you know, saliva and blood transfer through uh, semen. Okay. Any way that you can spread this virus, Kai manages rather, you know, pretty much unknowingly manages to spread it uh, every possible way that you can. So the contagion is now in full swing. So Kai, Har, and her little daughter are all now living with each other. Okay, so some time passes and basically Kai has moved in with with her and her uh, little daughter. So, and all three of them are just happier than corn and shit. Okay, so when one day uh, Har catches a news story. Okay, she's she's setting the table one day and she, she sees this news story explaining that the police are looking for Kai in connection to the murders in Hong Kong. You know, killing his boss and wife in South Africa and feeding their corpses to restaurant patrons. And on top of all that, he's the carrier of a highly contagious and deadly virus. Okay, this is on the news. And just then Kai walks into the room and is like, Oh, the police are spreading lies about me. This is bullshit and and you can't you can't believe anything these fucking people say and whatever. And so but Har plays it super cool. She's like, I know, right? It's like totally fake news. <laughs> like like you you can't you can't trust anything that the news says or it's total lies. Yeah, just Please, babe, go ahead and sit down, uh, you know, eat your dinner while it's still hot, you know. So Kai kind of drops his defenses and sort of relieves and he's like, oh, cool. Like she doesn't believe the news story and 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 it's like, why wouldn't she believe it? But, but he's like, he's convinced like, oh, she doesn't believe anything. The news is the same because uh, she's so in love with me. So he goes into the kitchen, to like wash his hands. And as soon as he leaves the room, Har and her daughter see that as an opportunity to escape. So they they leave the building, but Kai, feeling betrayed that they ran out on him, chases them down into the street with, with a meat cleaver. 
And as soon as he catches up with her and her daughter, that's like right when the cops roll up. And the cops are rolling deep and they're in hazmat suits and they got guns. And Kai manages to snatch up Har's little girl and holds her hostage at Cleaver Point. And this is where we get to the climax. And the climax is is cuckoo. Okay. So, all right. We're outside. We're in the streets. It's broad daylight. Kai is holding Har's little girl at Cleaver Point, and cops are in head-to-toe orange hazmat suits, guns drawn, uh, and then they attempt to surround and take down Kai. And Kai's like, y'all better back up. I'll kill this little girl. I got Ebola. If you fucking want some of this, get, get closer and see what happens. And he starts spitting. He starts spitting his Ebola spit at the cops. And Har is there and she's begging for her daughter to be released. She's like, don't hurt my daughter. Let her go. Now, I should point out, as I did in episode 65, that Herman Yao hates the police. Okay? He can't stand them. And he goes out of his way to portray cops as buffoonish, incompetent thugs with a perverse thirst for excessive force. Okay. So keep that in mind. So we get back to the climax of this film where Kai is running up the streets. And, you know, he's got the, he's, you know, got the girl under his arm. He's got a cleaver to her neck and, you know, cops are in tow and Har runs up to him and attempt to kind of talk some sense into him. Okay. And, just like, just let my girl go, you know, yada, yada, yada. When suddenly Har twitches and falls on the ground and starts convulsing. She's obviously been infected with the Ebola. So Kai actually shows a little bit of humanity here. Okay. Um, he sort of panics when Har starts convulsing on the ground and he uh, yells at the cops. He's like, yo, hey, Popo. Come get an ambulance for this woman immediately. Like, help her. And right after he does this, he just, like, takes off down some kind of crowded, uh, like, alleyway. Okay? And there's people scattering in panic. There's there's a man. There's a berserk man with a, with a child under his arm with a meat cleaver spitting at people, yelling that he has Ebola. So, yeah. People are... Obviously freaking out. So at one point, our main police officer man character, who sort of he's he's like introduced three quarters of the way into the movie. Okay, so <laughs> he's he's sort of our like he's like our hero suddenly in the movie. So he's pursuing Kai, and at one point he just like takes a shot at Kai and he hits him in the arm. While he's trying to get away. And Kai just stops in his tracks. And he turns around. And he looks so pissed. He's like, motherfucker, are you crazy? You fucking shoot me? He's like, you think I won't kill this little girl? He's like, what if you would have hit the girl? Like, it's like, (laughs) so then, which is crazy to even think about. 
Like if a cop, like if you were trying to get away from a cop and a cop shot you, and then you just turn around and just walk down the cop, like motherfucker, are you crazy? Like he walks down the the cop hero man, and just like out of nowhere, none of this is any other real part of the movie. He ends up busting out some sweet kung fu moves. He like walks up on the cop. He slaps the gun out of his hand with the cleaver. And then kicks the cop in the chest, knocks him down, and then Kai go sucks blood out of the bullet wound in his arm and spits it in the cop's face. And, I mean, the cop's wearing, like, a full hazmat suit with, like, a respirator thing on it. Um, But then, like, Kai takes another swipe of the cop and, like, slashes his suit open and cuts the sort of respirator tube that's putting air into his helmet, right? And Kai takes off after this, but what does the cop do? Okay, he in in a panic, he pulls off the protective like helmet mask thing off his head, which is like covered in blood, thus probably exposing him to more Ebola, you know? He was probably somewhat safe just leaving it on, but he ends up pulling it off and yeah this is not smart so Kai ends up dipping around a corner into another alley and he's like spitting blood at random innocent people like like a venomous snake that can spit venom you know and when he realizes that his little girl hostage um, isn't moving anymore he like looks down and the girl's like dead and he just like drops her on the floor Okay, and it's not really explained why she suddenly died, but it's I I guess it's most likely because in in all the running around and all the struggle and everything, he's basically carrying her by her head, just dragging her around. He probably snapped her neck. I guess that's what happened. So, um, but he's he, you know, you know, it seems like it was an accident. He didn't mean to do that, but yeah. So the little so the little girl. Um, it's it seems like she just like died, but maybe she was just unconscious. I don't know. At this point, it's hard to tell. So Kai drops her on the ground when suddenly a police sniper just kind of appears over the top of a wall and like shoots Kai with a sedative dart. Why he doesn't just have a regular rifle, I don't know. But he shoots him with a sedative dart. And Kai runs around yet another corner. It's a neighborhood that's filled with alleys and corners, I guess. And Kai, like, takes the cleaver and he pulls out the dart and he cuts a chunk of skin where the dart hit him off of his arm. And then it just falls and hits the ground. So he just cuts a chunk of his own arm off. You know, I, I guess so that the the sedative and the darts doesn't hit his bloodstream, I guess. So just then the hero policeman character manages to make sort of an improvised blowtorch and consumes Kai in like a ball of fire. And Kai's on fire, Kai runs out into a busy street. And police hero man is hot on his heels. And 
in a feat of pure stuntman badassness. I mean, Kai's on fire and he's like still talking shit. He's like, back up, bitches. He's like, I got fucking Ebola and I'll give you my Ebola. And he's engulfed in flames. It's hilarious. And all of a sudden, watch out. Here comes a car and it hits Kai while he's like engulfed in flames. So stuntman on fire, getting hit by a car. And then police hero man runs up and empties his revolver into him like I take my hat off to that stunt man for doing that because that looked awesome. So, police hero man kills Kai. Kai dies in a really shitty way. He's he's lit on fire, ran over by a car, and then he's shot six times. <laughs> so, that sucks. But before we can fade to black and the credits can roll... Um, the movie uh, keeps going. There's so a little bit of time passes, and we see Har's little girl, who's I guess is alive. It kind of seemed like she got her neck snapped and she died, but I guess she's not. She is alive, and she's um, sitting eating ice cream with some guy. I'm not sure who the guy is. Maybe it's explained in the movie, but maybe I wasn't paying attention. She's sitting there with some man, and she's eating ice cream. And her, uh, she has, she has like a little, this little dog, this little dog looks like Toto, you know, she's sitting there with her little dog, uh, which is, oh, I should point out the, okay, that dog, uh, before Kai died, like ran up to where his, uh, severed chunk of arm was on the ground and ate it. So... Okay, so now 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 we let's jump forward again. So okay. So basically now the the dog has Ebola, I guess. And the little girl lets the dog lick off her ice cream cone and then she licks the ice cream. Which is covered in the Ebola dog slobber. You know? And you think, oh no, Ebola continues to spread because some Serial killer raped a woman dying of Ebola. And um, now it's continuing to spread. All because some little girl couldn't help a dog have some of her ice cream cone. And uh, that's the end. That is the end of Ebola syndrome. And um, it's interesting because there's been quite a few Ebola outbreaks you know, over the years, most of them are fairly uneventful. Like they're caught quickly and dealt with quickly. Uh, but some of them are really bad. Where like hundreds of people die. But in 1996, which is the year that Ebola syndrome came out, there was a real Ebola outbreak in South Africa. And according to the CDC, there was a whopping two cases of Ebola in South Africa with one death as a result. But as demonstrated in the 1993 Herman Yao classic, The Untold Story, taking a simple story and embellishing the truth can, uh, you know, 
can be fun and horrifying and disgusting. And, uh, you know, like I said, the, the untold story is based on the eight immortals restaurant murders, which you can look up. That's a, a real uh, series of killings that took place. And that's what the untold story is sort of based on. You know, it's, a, it's basically a crazy man killed a family of 10 who owned a restaurant in Macau, took over the business, and allegedly chopped them up and fed them to unsuspecting customers. And, um, but yeah, but do I recommend Ebola syndrome? Sure. Why not? You know, but if you kind of, if you want to see a better version of Ebola syndrome, uh, just go see the untold story. I think it's a it's it's the better of the two films because they're so similar. You know, I, I find the untold story is a little more uh, dynamic, a little more exciting, a little more enjoyable. But be warned, both of these films are chock full of gory violence and dissections and sexual assault and animal death and sexism and racism and bad dubbing. Oh my. But yes, if you have some some free time in your movie watching schedule, go check out some category 3 films. They're not all you know, bloody rape and death and animal torture, you know. A lot there's a lot of them that kind of have sort of like uh you know, Chinese mysticism and uh martial arts and horror elements, you know, there's there's a lot of great ones out there and um and Anthony Wong is a, he's got a lot of really good movies too where he's a total creep and some where he's not so much a total creep so I would definitely say check out some of his vast body of work well I'm going to get out of here guys I've um I know I haven't had an episode come out in some time I've been you know, I've been having a lot of stuff going on lately, and I, I do feel that I've sort of strayed from the path in some way, but I'm I'm going to rectify that, okay? And and episodes are going to be coming out at a, at a regular clip from now on until I have my next, um, the next big crisis hits uh, my life, so... <laughs> But, uh, yes, if you want to get a hold of me, you can do so on Instagram at skeleton underscore factory. You can follow me there. You can follow me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash skeleton factory. It's the best place you can go to uh, support the show. And uh, there's a bunch of Patreon content there that, you know, and all, you know what? All of it's for free there, too. You know, but it's only at Patreon, so you can also find me on Twitter or X, whatever it's called nowadays, at SF Podcast ATX. That is on Twitter. Well, guys, I will check you on the next one. This is the Skeleton Factory Podcast, rescuing your movie night one movie at a time. This is Adam. Bye bye.